Look at Jeremiah 1 and 10 says this. Today I appoint you to stand up against the nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot, tear down, destroy, overthrow others. You must build them up and plant. So he lists lists six things here. Four of these six, or two-thirds of this list, is destructive instead of constructive. It's something that's relevant to a lot of us right now is Pollard. That's exactly where my mind went. Um, when you remodel some things, you have a, we have a, an idea. Now, this idea and this image might change from week to week of what we want the building and how the church is supposed to look. But in the end, we have an idea. The, the, the men and the women that have, have focused their time and, and, and have a design of what our church building is supposed to look like. What we want our church to look like. But in order to get that finished product, in order to get to that step of that next level to where our building is to resemble a church building, is, is to resemble the, what we, in our mind, have made up to what it's supposed to look like. We have to tear some things down. We have to remove some things. How many went to the work days? How many of you have seen them, the dumpster after dumpsters of stuff that we had to throw out of there, that we had to get rid of? There's been walls that have, that have been removed and that are going to have to be removed and built up. There's new flooring that's going to have to be put down. There's different things that we have to remove in order for God, for order for our church to be the way we want it. Same goes for our lives. Once we ask God to come into our heart, there's going to come a time that we have to find areas and we have to find things that God's going to want to remove from us in order to give us that perfect heart. That is the process of sanctification. Removing things of the world, adding things of God. So this morning we're going to look at what it means to have a perfect heart. First thing, a perfect heart begins with true invitation. We've already kind of talked about inviting him into your heart. We must invite God to also, once we step into salvation, once we become a Christian, we must continue to invite him to examine our heart. When you look at David, we, like I said, David wasn't perfect. He knew there was things, there was times that he was going to struggle and he was going to fail. But one thing he did know is he knew that, and it's a key thought I had this morning, is you cannot read your own heart. You cannot read your own heart. This is a, this is a problem and a, a misunderstanding that we have lots of times that we, we think we can read our own heart. How many has ever used the the saying, well, you know my heart was in the right place. And, and when reality is, is if you say that, most likely it wasn't. Or whatever the situation is that you're trying to justify that with when it took place. But this is, this is another reason why it's so hard lots of times to win over or, or have a good person. Someone that does good deeds. It's hard to bring them to salvation. How many have, have witnessed to somebody and say, I don't go to church or I never technically... I'm a Christian, but I'm a good-hearted person. I work for charities, or I do this and I do that. It, they're blinded by what they see as goodness. But they don't allow, the, allow God to examine their hearts. This, you cannot read your own heart. This is what David said in Psalms 139, 23. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts point out anything in me that offends you 
and to lead me along the path of everlasting life. Another version says, point out anything that is wicked. See, David understood that he couldn't see everything that he was doing wrong. He understood that there were some things probably that was in his heart that he didn't even realize existed, that God needed to point out anything that offended him. He asked for God because he realized that he couldn't read his own heart. And the reality is, there are things that we find ourselves. There's times we find ourselves in situations or doing certain things or saying certain things or having certain thoughts that we didn't even realize we was capable of having. There's times that we, we find ourselves saying, I can't believe I did that. Or I can't believe I thought that. Or I can't believe I said that. We, we didn't realize that we was capable of doing these things. When thinking about this, I know I've used this example probably every time I minister here. And I'm convinced that God allowed me to experience this thing in my life, to have good sermon material. I talk to you all the time about the worst job I've ever had in my life. And working for the worst boss I've ever had in my life. So that's where my story is going to come this morning from, is, is, is that area and that time of my life again. See, when I was in high school, I worked at the threshold of hell veterinarian clinic, is the way I refer to it. And it was, I worked with Satan himself. But when I was working there, we, we, we was trained certain ways, and we was talked to certain ways. And we, by the end of the time, when we would walk in, and Brad and Steve probably could tell you work with animals. When you walk in the door, you know it might not be growling, it might not be aggressive, but you could tell by the look in their eyes that you have a wild one on your hands. It might not have any other signs of the noises or anything like that, but you can tell that there's something that's not right and that you're going to have to hold it a certain way or you're going to have to get a muzzle. If not, you're going to get bit. So I walk in this room and I see this dog. It's back in the corner. It's not making a noise. We put it on the exam table. No growling, no nothing. I just knew. And I said, Doc, let me go get a muzzle. Knowing how he was, no, no, you know, he just kept going on and on. You're fine, hold him. And he's looking at the patient. Oh, I'm so sorry. Like you know, like I was, I don't know. Anyways, we're not going to go down that rabbit trail. Anyways, we, he would. He said, just hold on to him. So about that time, I'm going to hold on to the animal so he can examine it. This demon inside this dog was released. I still have a scar on my hand. First dog actually bit me bad enough at that job to probably have stitches. And then, of course, Doc gets mad at me. Go get a muzzle and starts yelling and everything. So I was, I'm not going to lie, I was very angry. I was very in a place that I didn't necessarily know I was capable of being there. I shut the door behind me, and I hear it even louder. It sounds like a 500-pound grizzle bear in there. Things was dropping. They was growling. They was scratching. He was screaming. So instead of going to the next room right beside it that had muzzles, I went all the way to the back. I went over to the back room and grabbed the muzzle and came back. These pieces of his head was bit, pieces of his arms, his hands was bleeding. It looked like someone had died in that room. And I had satisfaction <laughs> knowing that that man was able to experience some pain because I tried to tell him in the first place. That was the kind of pain I had to go through every single day working there. And I find myself thinking, that's a dark and evil place. 
I didn't realize that my heart had those things in it, that there was that kind of thing. That's why we had to say, God, search my heart. Now, I know that's, that's funny, but, and that's, you know, that's a story, but there's so many things that we find ourselves not realizing is inside of us. Things that we don't realize that we're capable of, that we have to have God to search us and look into our hearts and know. And the same thing with faults, we can also see that there's potential inside of our hearts that we don't know we have. God has great plans and has planted seeds inside of us that we might not even know that we're capable of completing. There's things inside of us that we might not even know that, that God has put inside of us that the blossom that we think in our mind that is not possible. God told David, you are the heart that I want. Despite your faults, despite your sins, despite all the failures that you may have, your heart is the one that I choose to use. God said, you are exactly the heart I'm looking for. And then, like I said, we see the potential, but we also see the failures. Who would have thought that David, the heart that God chose, the, day, or the heart that God said was the heart after his, would have all these failures that we know and read about? Jeremiah 17 and 9 says this. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? We have no idea what is inside of us. And why is that? Because we cannot read our own hearts. We cannot read our own hearts. We have to have God. We must invite him daily. Daily. That scripture that I read while going Psalms, that's something that someone taught me a long time ago. Every time I end my prayer time at home, I quote that scripture. Before I leave, I say, God, if there's anything inside of me that is not of you, I ask that you remove it. I ask that you set me apart from that. And that's what we have to do in order to get to that point of perfection. In order to get to that place of a perfect heart, we must invite him to search our hearts. Secondly, a perfect heart leads to true devotion. God doesn't just want to uproot, when we're talking about removing things from us, our secret sins. He wants to uproot our self-alliance to ourselves. He wants to, he wants to remove us being dependent on ourselves. Lots of times our heart looks to ourselves instead of God. Lots of times we find ourselves in situations that we try to overcome them ourselves. We try to press through on our own. We try to have our own mind and go with our heart, our own heart, instead of allowing God to take care of the situation. This is a kind of mistrust. Paul said in 2 Corinthians that our, that our, uh, Sufficiency is not in ourself, but it is in God. Meaning, don't look to yourself, but look to God. There were things that David did wrong, like we've mentioned. And there was times that, but there were some things that he did right. He understood that there was a calling upon his life, and he understood that there was times that he was going to have to trust God to fulfill these things. David was anointed as king at a very young age. But that would not take place for some some time down the road. But God still fulfilled his promise. But David had an opportunity. David had an opportunity to try to push this along, to try to take God's plan and put it into his own hands and, and try to force it to happen when he was in the cave with Saul. And if you don't know the story, Saul was out to kill David and, and, and he was hiding in a cave and he was able to 
He said he walked right past him. He was able to take Saul's life, probably end the whole situation. Probably be able to step right into the position that God had promised him to be. But he said, no, I'm going to rely on God. I'm going to allow God's promises. I'm going to allow God to fight my battles. I'm going to allow God to take care of and trust him to do, ex- to do exactly what he said he would do. His heart was devoted to God. Psalms 103 says this. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pastures. David was saying, I'm not going to be God, or I'm going to be God made, not self-made. So let me ask you this morning, does your heart rely on God? God is saying, are you trying to satisfy your own beliefs? Or, or do you, are you satisfied in the me? We must be devoted to God. Having a perfect heart is having true invitation and true devotion to God. And the third point this morning. A perfect heart has a true submission. I think this might be one of the hardest areas that we can grasp a hold of. It's having a heart that is truly submissive. When we make a mistake, which we all will and we all have, one thing we have to get a hold of and understand that we must own it. We must own it and we must learn from it. There is something in us that we just don't want to own it. It's just a part of human nature. We don't want to own up to our mistakes. We see another great example in David. See, David, we all know what he did. There's multiple sins that he did, but the, the big one, that just the chain reaction where, where he where he went back on God and he committed adultery and then he, then he had the man killed and he was having a baby out of wedlock and all these things he had to keep doing to cover up his sin. But when it came down to it, when the sin was exposed, David owned it. David said, I'm, I'm the man. And, and David was allowed his humiliation and was able to walk in humility. This, this process, and when we are able to own it, and we realize that it's exposed, and there's nothing that we can do on our own, and we're submissive, the Bible calls this brokenness. And, and this might sound weird to you this morning. This might uh, sound kind of like an oxymoron to a certain extent, but there is beauty in brokenness. When we come to a part, and we see, and God sees that we are broken, knowing that there's nothing else that we can do on our own, we have come to him and we admit our wrongdoings and we see that there's a brokenness inside of us that, that we need him. God wants to see our brokenness in our lives. He don't want to see us being defensive. How many times it's so easy to, to when, when we do something wrong, try to defend our wrongdoings or, or blame others. It's so easy to say, well, he did this to me, and if he didn't do that, then I wouldn't have done this, and blah, blah, blah. It's so easy to blame others or to, and not to defend ourselves. It's exactly what David did. He could have had the opportunity to say, well, she never was never on that roof, and she was never taking that bath, and that would have never happened. He could have said, if the guy would have just went home and was with his wife like I told him to, 
All this would have been over with and I could have got away with it. But David didn't do those things. He realized that he messed up. He realized that he wasn't perfect, but he was able to own it, take that brokenness and come before God. And one thing I, I, I see in church and, and I see in examples all the time is that if, if we don't own it, the past has a way of repeating itself. If, if it's always somebody else and it's never you, you find yourself lots of times in the same situation over and over again. You find yourself in the same rut of people treating you bad or you find yourself in, in the same position of the same thing, of the same hurt, occurring time after time after time because you will not take responsibility for yourself and own your mistakes. Our heart must be broken. Psalms 51 and 17 says this. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You you will not reject a broken or you will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. There's something about repenting, and there's something about owning it, and there's something about recognizing our wrongs, that when we repent with brokenness, God embraces it. That's what it says right here. The Bible says that he resists the proud and welcomes the humble. So when you come to him broken, and you come to him owning your mistakes, you come to him humbly, he's going to embrace you. This is a true heart of submission. And my fourth point, a perfect heart has a true heart of reflection. You know, there was lots of times growing up, there was four of us, and, and we would always, now I'm not saying anybody that knows me and has heard stories of me as a kid know that I, I was very hyper and ornery, but I was still a good kid. Uh, I, I did a lot of things and a lot of practical jokes and stuff like that. But when I was out in church and, and I was around other people, I was good. And they would come to my parents and they would say, your children are examples. Your kids are examples in our, in our kids' church. Or your kids are example at our school or on our bus or, or these things. Your kids are great examples for the other kids. And then we, we want to commend you because it's a reflection of your parenting. And lots of times, and I can tell you, being married to a teacher and now driving a school bus myself, that I can see certain kids, and it could be the opposite way as well. The kids that terrorize you, the kids that create all the trouble, kids that you find lots of times to be the troublemakers and the little terrors and the people that you wish wasn't even on your bus in the first place, those kids are a reflection lots of times of their parents as well. Brittany will come home lots of times and say, I had a teacher or parent-teacher conference of so-and-so. And let me tell you, now I know why they act the way they do. Now I know why they are the way they are because they are a reflection of their parents. As I get older, the attributes and the values and et cetera that is a reflection of my parents. So the same in our spiritual life. When we become saved and we become born again, we must become a child of God. The Bible says we become a child of God once we are saved. We sing that song, no longer a slave to fear because we accepted Christ into our hearts and now we are a child of God. But the, but the Bible teaches we as we mature as Christians, we also must grow up. And not only do we become a child, but we must reflect God. We must be able to act like God. Back to the word of sanctification. 
We must be sanctified, meaning that we have to reflect God. Matthew 5 and 48 says this, But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, I know Pastor J.W. had even used this scripture saying that lots of times reading this, he thought we had to be perfect. And we know that's impossible. But what this is saying is God is perfect and we should strive to be perfect. We should try to mirror, mirror him. We should try to reflect him. In other words, he's saying here, will you reflect me? The Father is asking you, he's expecting you, commanding you, please look like me. When you go out into the world and you're on your job, look like me. When you're in front of your kids and you're at home and away from everybody else and you're in your comfortable place, still at that time, look like me. Not only when you come into the house of God and you worship him and you're here with the congregation and it's easy to look like me, in other times, in your testings and in your trials. In your testings and in your trials, look like me. And it's so hard to do when we're going through things and when we, we're struggling and we're going through these trials of life and these testings to look like God. To not try to our best not to complain. Not to speak cursings upon our lives. Not to continue to focus on the bad things, but to look like him. We see an example, even Jesus in his testings and his triumphs. And we see the trials of him. And the great example that I, that I have is in the Garden of Gethsemane. His heart was tested by no other place in the Bible. You know, when we hear Jesus being tested, we think about him being tested in the wilderness by the, by the enemy when he was on his fast. If you think about his heart being exposed and tested, I really think about excuse me, in the garden. In Luke 22, or Luke 22 and 44 says this, he prayed more frequently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. There is no greater stress. Listen how stressed he was. He was so stressed and he was, he was praying, and he, but he was human. And, he was, and it said that his sweat was like drops of blood because he's being tested to the extreme. This shows great signs of pressure. We, one thing we, we know about our heart, we, know, we never truly know how healthy your heart is or how strong your heart is until you put pressure on it. How many of you have had one or know a family member or that's had a stress test done? And what do they do? They either do a chemical somehow or they put you on a treadmill and try to kill you. And what they do, they put you in a position to stress your body out, to see how your heart reacts, to see how strong your heart is. And that's exactly what was going on here in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when I was looking at it, the Garden of Gethsemane means a place of pressing. We've seen the Bible at this place that Jesus was exposed. We see that Jesus' spiritual stress test was perfect in the, was the perfect example in the garden. And we can see four areas where Jesus' spiritual stress test 
was exposed. And that, I'm gonna go through these four, these four things real quick, real quick. While I go through these things, I want you to think, and I wanna encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit, does my heart have these attributes? Does my heart have these things that reflects you? The things that we see that Jesus gave and the things that we see in, in his time of testing that was exposed, do we possess the same things? The first thing we see is the tender heart of forgiveness. Now, I'm not a medical guy. I don't work in the medical field. I, I, I don't know anything about it, really. But I do know that there's a condition. I didn't try to pronounce it when I Googled it today. I didn't want to embarrass myself. But there is a condition of the heart where the arteries are hardened and not allowing the blood to flow, which leads to death. And when the heart is hardened with unforgiveness, just in our spiritual life, it's the same way. When our, our heart is hardened with unforgiveness, then the life of God cannot flow in you. This case, your spiritual life will slowly drain out of you. When I was thinking about this, I thinking about our, our spiritual heart. And that's exactly what unforgiveness does. It hardens it to drain us spiritually dry to where we can't appreciate anything else in our spiritual walk. We cannot go to the next level. We cannot excel in the kingdom of God. And we can't have a strengthened relationship with Christ because our heart is hardened. We find ourselves when a certain person's face pops in our mind or a certain person's name is in a conversation. We find ourselves recognizing that we have forgiven them for the wrongdoing they have done? Or do we find ourselves still having hard feelings and anger and odds against them? I'm not just talking about the enemy. I'm talking about when you have somebody that you was close to, a family member, a mentor, a teacher, uh, somebody you trusted, a preacher, somebody that you relied on, did you wrong? Do you find yourself forgiving them? We see this example of a tender heart with Jesus when he was betrayed by Judas. Judas was not just another person. It was, you know, he was betrayed by all mankind, but Judas was somebody that was with him every single day. He was a part of his 12 disciples that followed him throughout all of his ministry. This man walked with him, and they, at times they, they lived together, they ate together. And we see in the scripture, or in that chapter of Luke, that he says, are you here to betray me with a kiss? Forgiveness isn't easy, but forgiveness is necessary. We have to have forgiveness in our hearts, or, or we'll continue to be looking for we find ourselves lots of times wondering, God, why don't I feel your presence anymore? God, why do I not find that strength or, that, or find, be able to go to that next level? And lots of times we find ourselves because we haven't forgave somebody. That's not always the case, but if our heart is hardened, we have to release them. Jesus did this when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That was for every single person that was, every single person that was doing the things they was doing, crucifying him, beating him, he was dying for them. When Judas betrayed him, that was included in that God, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was able to forgive, have a tender heart. The second thing we see is that Jesus was able to have a heart that was united 
our hearts have to be united. We, can never, we can't allow our feelings and our fears to divide our heart. Jesus wrestled in the garden uh, and, and he was praying and he said, God, if this cup can pass from me, his fears kind of got the best of him for a minute. Uh, if, if, if this cup can pass, Lord, take it away. But he was able to understand that he could not have a divided heart, so what did he say? But God, your will be done. He knew what his word said. He knew what God's plan and his purpose was. And he said, for your will to be done. He was dealing with feelings and fears at that moment. He recognized that he couldn't have a divided heart. This is what David said about a divided heart in uh, Psalms 86 and 11. It says, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. Meaning what, what to say, or meaning that you want to say yes to what God says yes to and no to what God says no to. Going back to being different from the world, that there are certain things that our Bible teaches us and there are certain things that God tells us yes to and there are certain things that God tells us no to. And we cannot, because of our fears or our feelings, waver from that. See, as Christians, we are especially more, I don't, I don't mean to sound you know, old-fashioned here, but even more now than ever are we under pressure. Even more now than ever can the world see us through social media and see our opinions and see where we stand and see that we're a Christian and they put labels on us and they make fun of us and they pressure us in trying to believe like they do. They try to force their worldly sinful beliefs upon us and, and it is our job to not have a heart divided, that we don't have a heart that, that goes and says, well, okay, well, we won't, you know, we won't say that that's wrong. We don't want to offend you. We have to stand up on the word. I'm not talking about causing trouble. I'm talking about what God says yes to is yes and what God says no to is no. That there are sins and there are stains that the Bible clearly tells us and we cannot waver from those things. That there are certain things that has to happen and there are certain areas in our life that we have to go through because God said yes. We cannot waver. We must have an undivided and a united heart. And the third thing we see is we must have a controlled heart. This one is also right up there with being submissive. To me, this is something that is very hard to do. In the garden we see Jesus had a chance to retaliate against those that came against him. But he had a controlled heart. We see that his followers, and we see Peter, jumped up with anger. And, and he cut the, the, the soldier's ear off. And we, we, we are told, and I, I've heard different stories, most likely, I don't think he was aiming for his ear. He was going to take his head off. He was going to, He's going to kill him. But Jesus told Peter, put your sword away. He told Peter, he said, don't you know that I have the power within me that I can call down a legion of angels to rescue me? Don't you know that I could call down from heaven and I could take away and I can, I can get rid of every person here that's trying to harm me? 
But a controlled heart is even though I have the power to harm someone, even though the power lies in me to, to hurt somebody or to, to, to get rid of the people that's trying to do me wrong, a controlled heart says, I will not speak, act, or do anything that hurts them under a controlled heart. Now, how many times have we found ourselves knowing somebody is there to do us harm? How many times have we found ourselves knowing that, that there's somebody that has tried to do us wrong? And we have something. We know something about them. We've seen them or we, we, we got dirt on them and we know that we can hurt them back. We know that we can put an end to the whole thing. We can blackmail them or we can, we can say something against them to make us all go away. That when they're trying to do you harm, you can come in with some kind of something, something kind of gossip, some kind of story and destroy them. But a controlled heart says, even though I have the power to harm my enemy, I'm going to be reserved and I'm going to be controlled and I'm going to allow God to take care of it. We must have a, a controlled heart. And then lastly, a gracious heart. In the garden, there was, what we saw about that, the guy that, that Peter cut his ear off. And, and the Bible actually mentions his name and the reason if you study that is he was the right-hand man to the high priest, the very enemy of Jesus, the man that tried to destroy his ministry, tried to think of ways to kill him and, and, and imprison him from day one. The guy that was constantly fighting against him and trying to find fault in him. This man was his, was his right-hand man. In all odds and in our mind, we would consider this an enemy. And in, in our earthly mind, we would say he got what he, you know, what he deserved. But Jesus had a gracious heart. And it says, and what I like about this story, when you read it, it says, as he was being led away. Meaning they had already probably put him in restraints. They had already decided to take him out of there. He was about ready to face the ultimate sacrifice, the, the, the excruciating pain that we all read and know that he went through for me and you. He's about ready to face that very thing that he was fearful of earlier, that very thing that saved our lives. But as he was being led away, he said, would you allow me one last thing? One last thing, and it, and it was so gracious to him because it wasn't something for himself. He didn't say, would you allow me to tell them goodbye? Would you allow them, allow me to spend one last moment with my disciples? He said, allow me one last thing. And he bent down and he grabbed the ear and he healed his enemy. We must bless those that curse us. We must do good to those that do bad to us. That's all what we, the, the scripture that I use in Matthew about reflecting God and being perfect like God, that is what he was saying before. Bless those that curse you. Do good unto those that hate you. Love those that hate you. Have a gracious heart. These four things that, that, that we see that Jesus had and, and that we try to have and we must have in order to reflect him and, and for order for us to be able to have that reflection of him into a perfect heart. They're not easy. These things I've talked to you about in these examples, I, I'm human just like you and I know that they're not an easy thing to accomplish. It's not easy 
when you're tested and, and, and you're hurt and people, someone has, has spiritually destroyed you to forgive them and to have a tender heart of forgiveness. It is not easy to stay true to what you know when the pressures of the world and the spotlight is on you and people are looking to call you a name, to, to, to make fun of you, to ridicule you because of your biblical beliefs. It's not easy to have a united heart. It is not easy to know that you have the power to harm those that are trying to harm you, but you must have a controlled heart. It is not easy to bless those that curse you and love those that hate you, but you must have a gracious heart. This is what it means to have a reflected heart of God. And in closing, how do we get there? All these things that I mentioned, all these things in order to get to a perfect heart, like, I'm, like I said a while ago, is not easy. And it's definitely not easy when we try to do it on our own. As a matter of fact, it's impossible. We cannot do it on our own. We talked about it, an invitation. First and foremost, we must invite him. If we don't know him as our personal savior, we have to ask him into our hearts. He cannot perfect our heart if he doesn't reside in our heart. He cannot perfect our hearts if we never have invited him in there in the first place and accepted his, him as our personal savior. It's not a, it's not one of those things that we just, it's a try harder thing that, I'm going to try harder to do this. I'm going to try. It's a supernatural thing. Allowing God to change you, to make you and mold you into the person that he created you to be, a heart like his, to have a perfect heart, is a supernatural thing. We've got to stop doing it on our own and allow God to make us new. Last scripture, Ezekiel 36 and 26 says this, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your old, your take out your stony, stubborn heart, and give you a tender, responsive heart. This right here tells you exactly how. We must seek the face of God daily, church. Daily, we must ask God to examine us. We after we ask God into our lives, we have to seek Him daily because it says he will give us the heart and then if we seek him he'll maintain that new heart it says when we put in the new when he puts a new spirit inside of us we know that when we confess of our sins and that we lay down our, our sins at the altar or we ask God into our hearts that it says that we are a new creation that the old things are passed away and that behold all things are made new. He says, I have a new spirit to put inside you. This morning, all we got to do is allow him to maintain that heart. I, and we got to realize that I can't change me, that he can change me. The Bible says, not by my mind or my power, but by whose? His. His spirit is what gives us a perfect heart. 
Can you stand? This morning as I look around, I realize that there's some people in here that I don't know. And even, even the ones I, I do know, like I, just like I mentioned a while ago, even though you can't read your own heart, I also cannot read your heart. There's some in here that may have never accepted Christ as their personal Savior. Or, or you did a long time ago, but you turned your back on God. And, and you need to rededicate your life and be able to say, God, I invite you into my heart to take that old stony, that old stubborn, the old man, the old fleshly heart out of me and put in a new. I need your spirit to create a new heart in me. And God, I need your help. I need your help to maintain that heart, to perfect that heart, to make it the way you created where I can reflect you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you this morning, if you have walked away from God or you've never accepted him as your personal Savior, let me tell you, we can, we can give you a new heart this morning. We can start a new life in you. God's Spirit can fill you. And, and, and everything that these things that you struggle with and all these faults and failures and sins that you created in your life and that you have done will be forgiven and your heart will be made new. If that's you this morning, will you raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't ask you to come up front. You're more than welcome. Anybody that wants to come up front can. But I'm not going to embarrass you this morning. I just want you to say, Pastor Brandon, that's me. Will you pray for me? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to bring you forth. I just want you to say, God, I need you. Is there anybody this morning? God, we thank you, Lord, for those here today, God, that need you. Lord, I ask that you open up their heart to be able to let them to receive the salvation, God, that is free. God, it's not, it's not necessarily something we deserve, God. It's not something that we have earned, God, but it's something you give to us freely. Lord, we thank you, God. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, God. We thank you, God, for your, your salvation, God, that changes lives, that makes us new, God, that allows us to forget and walk away from our past. But I ask you, Lord, for those that, that, that have already accepted you, God, and, and for myself, God, that need you daily, God, that when you have given us this new heart, God, I ask that you help us to perfect it, God. God, give us a perfect heart. God, have us be able to have a heart that's truly inviting to you, God, that we can invite you to examine, God. And once you reveal those things to us, God, help us to change. Help us to remove those things, God, that when you examine our heart, God, and, and, and through that true invitation, that we remove those things out of our lives. God, let us have a perfect heart that leads to true devotion, God. Or that we realize that we have to be devoted and reliant on you, God. That we can no longer 
try to look to ourselves or look to others, God, but we have to focus and be devoted to you, God, that there's nothing in this world that can change us and that can satisfy us, God, but you. God, I pray that you give us a, a heart that is submissive. God, let us be able to recognize our faults and wrongdoings, God. Allow us to recognize when we're in the wrong. God, let us have a brokenness and come to you, God, and own our mistakes and our failures, God. Where we come to you this morning with brokenness, God. Where we thank you for being understanding. And we thank you, God, for being able to embrace us, God. And, and put us back together, God, amend our hearts. Lord, help us to be submissive into you, God. God, lastly, we ask that you perfect our hearts, God, that we reflect you. God, that it might sound a little cliche, and we say it time and time again in church, God, that we want to look like you. God, we, I ask that right now, God, that you touch us, God, and you move in us, God, that you change anything, God, that is not of you, that today when we walk out this door, God, that we leave it behind. That when we walk out this door and we go to lunch today, that our waitress, when they come to take our word of God, they don't see us, but they see you. That they be able to recognize that difference, God, that we are set aside from this world, God, that we are, 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 are your vessels, God, and they're able to look inside and be able to, to be sensitive to your spirit and recognize you. God, throughout our lives, through the people that you put in our lives and encounters that we're gonna have throughout the week, God, in our homes and our family members and to our children and the ones that look up to us, God, let us reflect an example of you. Perfect our hearts today, God. Continue to work in us, God. Continue to make us new, God. Lord, sanctify us today. For we ask that your spirit have to sanctify this congregation, God. For we thank you, God. You're so good to us. You're so good to us, God, that we don't even deserve. But Lord, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. And we give you praise and glory and honor. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Remember those that...